Well, uh, I'm a pretty overly excited guy, so Christmas is a good season for me because uh, I can get worked up about a lot of different things. Um, I've always been known for that. I've always been the most overexcited guy in the room, and uh, my father-in-law exploited this at uh, our wedding, me and my engineer's wedding, because uh, of course the father-in-law gives the speech, he gives the uh, father of the bride speech, and so uh, we were at our wedding, and he decided to talk about the countdowns that Janine and I both had uh, leading up to our wedding. Um, we were both very excited, of course. We waited a long time. We were engaged about nine, ten months. Uh, and so uh, he started with Janae and said, uh, you know, I've been looking at Janae's Twitter feed and her Facebook and I see every month she's saying six more months until I get to marry Andrew James. Five more months till I get to marry Andrew James. Only three more months until I'm Andrew James's wife. I can't wait all the way down until it was just a few days left. And then he turned towards Andrew, said, let's take a look at Andrew's countdown on his Twitter feed. <laughs> it said... Two hours till the new Man of Steel Superman movie. I can't wait until it comes out. 15 minutes until the new Superman movie starts. It wasn't my best moment, uh, entering into a marriage and getting held up like that. So maybe I haven't forgiven him yet, quite that. But uh, yeah, I get overexcited. What can I say? I get worked up. And my expectations and longings sometimes get a little bit out of order uh, for the things that are most important. Uh, and I think Advent is a season where this can happen a lot, isn't it? Advent is a season where our expectation and our excitement, sometimes it gets just a little bit out of order. Uh, we think about the gifts and the food and the decorations and the celebrations, music, movies, family, friends. So many things that we get excited for and that we look forward to for and we, we long for. But sometimes we miss what should be the most important longing of Christmas which should be the most important longing of Advent, because behind all the laughter and the celebration, if we pay attention, Advent is a season that is trying to teach us to remember the truest longing of our heart. Advent leads us to remember that the truest longing of our hearts is for God himself, for God himself. That's what Advent is really all about. That's what all the excitement, all the rush, all of the longing is really all about. And that's the heart behind this carol that we're going to talk about this morning, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. We've started this new series for the Advent uh, season, and this season what we're going to do is we're going to look at carols. We started last week with O Come Emmanuel, my favorite Christmas carol, uh, and for this next few weeks, we're going to look at these songs that we sing every year. Even some people who don't even go to church, we sing these songs and we read these lyrics uh, and we celebrate with them, but sometimes we don't pay attention to what they're really saying to us, do we? It can be some, become just kind of so natural that we sing these words, we say, come thou long expected Jesus, and we don't listen to what's really been said to us. So we want to do this as a church for a couple of reasons. First of all, because sometimes we miss what they're really saying, but second of all, because as a church, when we dig into these songs and we see the timeless truths of Scripture that are hidden in them, I think it is going to help us recover some of our longing. It's going to help us recover some of the awe and wonder at who God is and what he's done for us and really what that child in the manger really is for all of us. So today, like I said, we're going to look at Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Now, you may not know this. This was written by Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley was one of the founders of Methodism. Uh, and he is famous for writing over 6,000 hymns that we still sing today. He's also responsible for Hark the Herald Angels. Uh, and so this is a guy that, though we may not know his name, he's everywhere in our kind of culture of the church, and we sing his songs. 
and he lived in the 1700s, so not too long ago. And in the 1700s, he lived in a world where he was surrounded by brokenness of every kind. He lived in England. It's a great place to come from. Uh, and he would look around, and he would see every day on the streets of London, there was poverty, there was pain, there was tears, there was brokenness, there was corruption in government, there was corruption in the church. And so Charles Wesley, he found himself longing for a world where those things could be washed away. He longed for a world in which the church could really be the beacon of God's love and grace and that he could live in a world where there was no more tears, there was no more heartache, there wasn't poverty, there wasn't violence, there wasn't pain and suffering. And so he came and he wrote this song. He wrote this song and he was driven to a passage in the book of Haggai, chapter 2. It's in our Old Testament. It's a book that we don't often look at. But this is what chapter 2, verse 7 says. This is what captured Charles Wesley. He said, I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. See, Wesley knew that the longing of Advent, this is what it was really all about. For God to shake the earth, shake the nations, and to bring his glory in. To set things right. For this world that he longed for to be created. And so we're going to look today at this, this hymn, this carol, and we are going to ask of ourselves, what is our longing really all about? Are our longings out of order? Do we really see the Advent season for what it's supposed to be? And so we're going to look at three different longings, a past longing, a present longing, and a future longing. Let's look at this together, a past longing. Now, um, I do not like to fly on planes, not least of all because I'm way too tall to fit in those seats. But uh, I also, no matter how much I've eaten before I get on the plane, it's like five or ten minutes in, and it's, it's like I haven't eaten for six weeks. I just become ravenous. And then I get in terrible moods because they come down the aisles, and they drop these little peanut bags on. First of all, I'm not a great fan of peanuts. But if, if you're hungry, the last thing you want to see is like a bag of what looks like wood chippings that like you would feed your hamster. I need a full meal, Okay. But for some reason, when I tear that bag open and I drop like one peanut in, it's like I am eating Thanksgiving dinner. It's unbelievable. And it could be food that I'm totally repelled by and disgusted by, but if I'm on a plane and I'm hungry, I will eat anything in sight. I mean, I will start eating the seat covers if it comes to that. Because when your longing takes a hold of you, when you're really in need of something, it grips you and you find yourself going to all kinds of crazy lengths to satisfy the longings that you have. Christmas season and Advent season is a a moment for us to look and ask ourselves about our longings. It's a moment for us to ask ourselves, what's our longings really all about? This is what the first verse of Come Thou Long Expected Jesus says. It says, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth, Thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Those are the words of a man who understands his own longings, who knows that all of the the feelings and aches that he has, they find their resolution in Jesus, in this king who was born in the first advent. He's in this world surrounded by sin and pain and loneliness, and he's looking to God and saying, you're the answer to all of this. You're the one that we really need. And it's very similar to David who wrote in Psalm 63. He said, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. 
and my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. See, David and Wesley, they both know, they both sense this burden in themselves of a longing for God. Some people think that the, the last few lines of that first verse about being the desire of every nation and the joy of every longing heart was inspired by uh, a 16th century philosopher, or 17th century philosopher, I should say, lived in the 1600s, called Blaise Pascal. Every uh, kid in uh, elementary knows about Blaise Pascal because eventually you've got to learn about all the, the math rules that he invented, but he was also a Christian. Uh, and this is what Blaise Pascal said. He said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person that cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator. It's a wonderful thing, wonderful thing. It's such a great quote because it helps us think about our own longing, doesn't it? It helps us identify that there is a vacuum, there is a void in our own hearts that we're all trying to fill. And really, the whole story of the Bible is the story of humanity wrestling with the void that we have in our hearts and how we try and fill it. We see right at the beginning in Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve, our first parents, they make a choice to run their own lives. They have the option of setting God aside and saying we can be the authority in our own life. We can design our own purpose. We can create our own significance. And so they choose that as many of us still do today. And because of that, it tore a hole in the fabric of human souls. Every human being that's ever lived now has a void in us because we were not created to be the captain of our own souls and the, the masters of our own destiny. That's not who we were created to be. We were created to belong to our Father who created us and loves us. So from that moment on, we found ourselves longing and aching for a world where we could try and recover that. And every day that passed since Genesis 3, you and I have been trying to come up with counterfeit gods and lesser loves that we can fill that void with. And we look and we search and we ache for something and we fill it with sex and money and power and reputation and morality and self-sufficiency and self-image. And every time we do that, every time we try and plug that hole with something other than God himself, we become more and more enslaved to things that ruin us like empty wells that we just keep desperately drinking from, hoping that it'll quench our thirst, and it doesn't. It doesn't. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, he decides to do something about this. And that's what the story of the Old Testament becomes. It becomes the story of how God would chase us and pursue us despite our rebellion, despite our rejection of him, he would come after us. And he would make us a promise. And if we went all the way back to Genesis 3, we'd find even moments after Adam and Eve made that decision, God's response isn't to become furious, to become outlandish. Sometimes we see that moment where they're cast out of the garden and all we can see is the consequences. But we don't see the God who clothes them. Do you know that? Right in the garden when they feel their nakedness, it's God who clothes them. We don't see the God who speaks to them kindly and makes them a promise. He says, one day I'm gonna send someone and this serpent that's deceived you, I'm gonna destroy him. I'm gonna undo the one that's lied to you. Right there at the beginning, God makes a promise and it starts getting kind of fleshed out throughout the whole Old Testament. Every story that you read in your Old Testament is a story that is pointing us towards God's promise to set things right. 
Every story that you read, you could go through pages of Elijah, you could go through David, Moses, Abraham. Every single one of those stories is a story about how people have rejected God in one way or another. We've trusted in something other than God, and yet God pursues us and loves us and chases us. And he keeps reiterating this promise, I'm going to send someone, someone's coming, he's going to be able to set things right, he's going to be able to undo this. And so the, old, the people of the Old Testament, Israel, would long and ache for this Messiah to come, this figure that God promised. Until we reach the New Testament, where this is what we're told in Matthew's Gospel, the first chapter of Matthew's Gospel, we're told about a man named Joseph and a woman named Mary, and an angel appears to Joseph, and it says, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, the Advent season is a moment for us to look back and consider our past longing, the longing of all mankind that God would set right what we have put wrong. And here, in Bethlehem, 2,000 years ago, a child is born who is the answer to that past longing. I don't know where you find yourself in your own longings today. I don't know whether your longings are loud or quiet. I don't know whether for you, you just need a break from the craziness and the busyness of the Advent season, or whether you find yourself in desperate need of answers, for stuff that you're carrying on your back, things that are weighing you down. I don't know whether there is a whisper in the back of your heart and mind about what you really need, or whether it is a storm that is pushing you from side to side. But I do know that Jesus is the answer to whatever those longings are. Jesus is the answer to whatever those longings are. There is longing in every human heart. There is a void in all of our souls. There is an ache in all of our souls. And God has given us his son to be the answer to that. He's given us a gift that will far exceed our needs. But there isn't just a past longing that we need to recognize. There's a present longing as well. A present longing. I, uh, just a few weeks ago, I decided to get myself a membership to Export. And I'll tell you why. Because I was sitting on the couch next to my little girl. Uh, and she pointed at my belly and said, Daddy, pregnant. <laughs> so I was like, I get it. I get it. So I went to Export, started this routine. Very determined. I'm going to lose some weight, get it off before Christmas. Uh, I've done okay so far, but the, you know what the one thing that has never been, uh, I've, I've always hated about gyms, I've never been able to commit to them, is because I always go in and say, right, I'm going to lose like 100 pounds in a week. That's how we're going to do it, right? That's how it works. I'll just sweat my guts out and then it'll just, it'll fall off. But the reality is you can work and work and work for weeks and weeks and you don't really see anything at first, do you? Nothing happens. And so I, I said, you know what, the cheeseburger tastes just a little bit better than this workout. So I, I lose it. I lose the motivation. I lose the energy. I lose the enthusiasm because I don't see immediately the results that I want to see. Now, the truth is that sometimes when we come to Jesus and we, we regale ourselves with this Advent story and we look at these moments that are beautiful and good and inspiring, we find the answer for our longing, but we don't like that it's taken its time. We don't like being in this moment where we know what we want from Jesus, we know what we need from Jesus, but it's not coming on our terms, it's not coming on our timeline. 
And so we become frustrated. We become hesitant or neglectful to let the full weight of who Jesus is sit on us and help us and heal us. This is what Wesley writes in his second verse. He says, Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. I want to focus in on the first words of that second verse there. It says, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. See, Jesus isn't just a savior. He's a king. Jesus isn't just a healer and a redeemer. He's a lord. And that is something important. Because it tells us how we are to relate to him, how we are to engage with him and respond to him. We are to follow a king. That's why we called our Mark series that we've been going through, Following the King. Because Advent is not just about the gift that we receive, it's about the king who we surrender to. Advent is as much about surrender as it is about receiving a gift. We must surrender to this king who is a child but also a king. Look at the reaction for a moment with me of the Magi. When the Magi come and visit Jesus, a story that we're all familiar with. This is what we're told, Matthew 2.11. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. These men visited Christ. These men from the east. They weren't Jewish men. They were Gentiles. They came in not knowing what everybody else in Israel knew. They, they had read the prophecies. They'd read the scriptures. But what they had caught onto is that this was a king. This wasn't just something to come and spectate at for themselves. This was something that they had to surrender to. This was someone that they had to fall down and worship. And so they knelt down and they bring him gifts. They give him treasures. They find the richest things that they have, the most beautiful things that they have, things that Mary and Joseph would never have imagined of getting for themselves. And they lay them at the feet of this child, this baby, because they wanted to surrender to him. They knew that this gift, this answer to their longings and aches, he demanded surrender. He deserved surrender. And many of us still find in ourselves this deep longing, this deep ache for things to be set right. And there's a lot of reasons why in the kingdom of God we don't always find the answers on the timeline that we want. But one of them that I want to talk about today is that sometimes we just don't want to surrender. We don't want to let go. See, Wesley's Carol isn't just about longing for the wrongs in the well to be put right. It's about a longing for the wrongs in his own heart to be put right. It's not just about God shaking the nations and bringing his glory in. It's about shaking his own life, his own priorities, his own commitments, and bringing the glory in there too. Do you long for that? This Advent season is the child in the manger exclusively about gifts that you receive and not about surrender? Or is that child in the manger a king that you want to bring your treasures to? This Advent, as with many before, I am forced to admit, I don't really think that I'm treating that child as the king that he is. I don't want to surrender how I talk to people that I dislike. I don't want to surrender how I treat my neighbors when things go wrong. I don't want to surrender how I use my time. I don't want to be 
uh, surrendered in my finances and think, am I being as generous as I am physically able to be? Am I being as kind and as compassionate as I'm able to be? I don't want to surrender the bad habits that I know are causing me to be stunted in the growth of my faith because I'm just too comfortable in them. I don't want to surrender the ways in which I could change and be transformed and be more like Christ and less like Andrew. I think I'd wager that even the most excited person about Advent struggles with the idea of surrender. But when we live without true surrender to this king, when we treat Christmas as this momentary behavioral modification where for this one month we're going to try and be as nice as we can, but after that we go back to being in charge ourselves. When we do that, we're missing out on the real blessing. That's why this is important. This is not about shaming us and saying, well, people aren't as good as they should be and people aren't as surrendered as they should be. It's about saying, let's surrender because God has more for us. God has good for us. Those longings, he really does want to satisfy them, but we've got to come to him. We can't stand outside the tent and hope that the child might meet us out there. We've got to come in and lay ourselves before him and say, as Wesley says in this carol, Lord, fill our hearts, reign in us. Towards the end of his life, Jesus told his disciples in John 14, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. There's two important things to catch in those words that Jesus shared with his disciples. Right before he died, right before he goes to the cross, he says, first of all, if you love me, if I matter to you, then you will obey me. You will listen to me. My words will have power in your life. So that, the first thing that that means is that we've got to surrender, right? If we really love him, if he really matters, then it has to have an impact on our life, the way that we think, the way that we talk, the way that we treat our neighbors. But here's the second thing that I really want to encourage you with this morning is Jesus says, I will give you a helper. I will ask the Father. When we concern ourselves with surrender, Jesus concerns himself with our longings. When we come to him, he is good, he is gracious, he is more longing to meet us than we are to come in, and he will meet us. That is why it's okay to surrender. That's why it is more blessed to give than receive because we have a king who cares for us, who's waiting for us, who wants to meet our aches, who wants to meet our longings. He will help you in your distress and your pain. He will fill your life with his spirit so that you will have strength and consolation as Wesley talks about so that you will have rest and peace, so that even when you face horrible, heartbreaking things in this life, you will have an anchor. That's why Wesley sings this, why he writes this. He says, I need the rule of God in my heart because I want the blessing of God in my heart. I need the king to come in and I need his kingdom to reign because it's better than my kingdom. It's better than what I built for myself. When he fills that void in us that Pascal talks about, it fills it perfectly. It doesn't leave it shallow. It doesn't leave it with edges that are not completely satisfied. It doesn't empty out so that we have to keep going back again and again. When we come to the king and we surrender, it's met completely forever. Isn't that what we want? Something that fills the longings once and for all instead of having to go back and again and again and again to these wells that don't satisfy us, that don't meet us. There's one more longing that Christ has come to satisfy. A future longing. 
Look with me at the last four lines of this second verse. It says, By thine own eternal spirit, rule in our hearts alone, by thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. So Wesley, as he's churning through this, he's, he's thinking about his longings for, for God to come and set the world right, and for God to come and set his own heart right, Wesley then comes to the throne of God. He comes to this longing to be brought to the presence of God's glorious throne. And we're not simply talking about Wesley one day going to heaven and meeting God face to face. What Wesley's talking about is for God's throne to come down on earth and set everything right. So that this world will be put back how God intended it to be in the beginning. Where everything's in harmony and peace. The prophet Isaiah well before Jesus was born, he looked forward to this kind of well too. He ached for this and he wrote in Isaiah 11 these incredible words that I'm sure you've heard before. He says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze and their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Isn't that what we're all aching for, a world in which strife and envy and brokenness, it's, it's just gone. In Isaiah, he uses these pictures of, of natural enemies, of, of animals that are predators of one another, and saying that there's peace, there's no hostility, there's no need for competition or division or striving anymore. It's all done. The God who makes the lion lie down with the lamb. Now, it's plain to see that we haven't fully realized this yet. It would be foolish for any Christian to claim that, th- that this exists now. It doesn't, but the Bible isn't claiming that it's supposed to exist now. It's giving us hope that this is what is coming. The Bible's message is that there is hope, not only because of a first advent, but because there is a second advent still to come. That first advent, that child in the manger was a down payment on a promise that is now in our midst continually being fulfilled. We are marching towards it. We are marching towards that world that Isaiah describes. That's what Isaiah is talking about. Isaiah prophesied not only of Jesus' first coming, but of his second coming as well. This is what Pastor Jeff talked about last week. He said that Advent is not just a remembering of the first coming, but of the second coming. And when he comes again, Jesus is not coming as a child in a manger. He is coming as a conquering, victorious king who will bring an end to everything that ails us. Every ache you've ever felt in your heart, every longing you've ever felt in your heart, one day I promise you, this king is going to fulfill it. He is going to satisfy it. Now I don't know about you, maybe it's the last two years that we've had, but I am aching for this world. I'm tired of reading headlines every day about division and strife and brokenness, and pain. So last week we just saw another school shooting in Michigan. Just horrible to read these things. Heartbreak. There's more political discussions where one side hates the other side, and they hate this side, and everybody's wrong, and everybody's a moron, and everyone wants to destroy the country. 
I'm tired of all of the pandemic and all of this sickness and losing people that I love and that I care about. I'm tired of seeing people that I love lose people that they care about. I'm just weary of it. But I know someone who's going to bring an end to all that. My hope's not in that I can one day do something about that, or even that we can do something about that. My hope is that we love one who can do something about that. And he will do something about it. I want to put my faith this Advent in the one who is coming, the one who has promised to set things right. Is that where your hope is this Advent? Is your hope in the one who is coming? Is your hope in the one who has promised you that he will set things right? Advent is an invitation for us to hope. It's an invitation for us to see this king. Some of us, perhaps for the very first time, this is our moment to come before the child, surrender, and know that he's going to fulfill us. But even for those who it's not the first time, who have been walking with the king and we've been pursuing the king and we've been calling out and praying, Advent is another moment for us to pause, to reflect, and say, I'm going to put my hope in you. I'm going to trust that you will be who you promised me you would be. Israel had to do that for hundreds of thousands of years. It's no different for the church today. They looked forward to Jesus and we look back to Jesus, but both of us in every generation, we are hoping that God will be who he promised us he would be. As Christians, our ultimate hope isn't in a new political policy, a new political leader. It isn't in economic stability or stock markets or or employment. It's not in social influence or protected rights. It's not in things that change from season to season, things that move. It's in a God who is unshakable, immovable, and constant. I need that. I need that when I wake up to new headlines and I need that when things in my family go south. I need that when I lose things. I need something that doesn't move. And so really what I want this song to be for us as a church, when we think about come thou long expected Jesus, I don't just want it to be a reminder to us about biblical truths. I want it to be something that we can pray together, that we can say come, come thou long expected Jesus and set things right. Set things right in our hearts, set things right in our souls, set things right in our world, our communities, our families. Come, come and be what only you can be. I think this Advent season we need to not settle for a shallow faith that is content with Christmas lights and Hallmark movies. We need to let God grow the longing in our hearts for something deeper and more beautiful something richer, something that was described in Revelation 21 when we're told this in verses three through five. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That means Emmanuel, God with us. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, the child in the manger grown to be a king, says, behold, I am making all things new. That is what we should long for as a church. Every Advent season, not the the lights and the songs and the hot cocoa, but the king, the king who is coming.
So as a church, what I want to do just to finish this morning before we go into communion is we're going to put the lyrics of this song on the screen. I want to invite you to stand with me and we're going to pray them together. I'm going to pray the words of this song out loud and ask God to come. Let's stand together. Pray these words with me. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, guys. Well, I don't want to rush out of this. Just for a moment, I want to stay in this moment of expectation and longing um, because we're going to come to the Lord's table. This is something as a church we do every month to remember the one who's loved us. And when you came in, you should have received a little communion cup like this. If you didn't, if you could just raise your hand now, our ushers will make sure to bring one to you. Uh, but if you do have it, uh, take this out. You know, Jesus at the end of his life asked that we do what we are about to do in remembrance of him. And remembrance that he is coming again. He said, do this in remembrance of me until I return. And Paul says that same thing. Paul in the New Testament, he writes in 1 Corinthians 11 that when we take communion, we proclaim Christ's death until he comes again. And so traditionally, we think of this as something we do at Easter to remember the cross, and we certainly do. It's also a reminder of what the Advent season is all about, that he's coming again. You know, Jesus chose on purpose to take symbols that represented his body and his blood, physical, present things in the incarnation, so that when we do it, we remember that he will be present with us again, physically. When we drink this, we don't just proclaim his death, we proclaim his advent and his coming. This table doesn't belong to Chapel Street. It's not something that we do. This is Jesus's table. Uh, these are Jesus's elements. And so this morning, I invite you to join in this with us. If you trust in Jesus, if you place your faith in him, you are welcome to take this with us. But let's take this cup out and prepare together to remember our Savior in anticipation of his coming. If you could peel off that first lid uh, and bring out this cracker. Jesus said to his friends on the night that he was betrayed, this is my body that is broken for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. Let's eat this in remembrance of Christ. In the same way, just a few moments after that, Jesus took a cup that the disciples would drink every Passover and he put new meaning to it. He raised it up to them and he says, this cup this cup is my blood, which is shed for you as part of a new covenant, a new promise for the forgiveness of sins. Take this and drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink this today.
Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that today we remember your coming. We remember it with anticipation and longing and aches because we know that you are faithful to do what you said you will do. We thank you that you did come, that you were that child in that manger. And we thank you that you grew and walked faithfully for us all the way to the cross to give yourself for us, Lord. We can't separate Advent from Easter. And Lord, we thank you that you will come again to wipe away every tear and lift every burden. But it's in you that we place our hope and our trust. And it's in you that we pray today. Amen.